Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijar Nathan, and with us today is Jihang Padma, um, who is a PhD, a scholar, practitioner, who has taught Zen for 25 years at Wesleyan College and many other institutions. She also graduated, directed a graduate-level comparative religion program at California Institute for the Human Sciences in San Diego. Currently, she teaches through Open Gate Zen Collective and serves as chaplain resident at UCSF. Her first book, Living the Season, Zen Practices for Transformative Times, was published in 2013. And her new book, Field of Blessings, Ritual, Con- Ritual and Consciousness, has just been released. Welcome, Jihang. Thank Jen. you so much. Thank you. thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So um, why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about the title and such an evocative title, um, Field of Blessings. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how, how and, and the themes of the book and how the title plays into it? Yeah, well, in, the, in a traditional Buddhist sense, um, the field of blessing represents uh, the way that each of us, uh, by cultivating enlightened mind, uh, affects the world around us, you know, shines a light on the corner of the world where we are. Uh, through just through the way that we walk in the world. And so that that quality of presence uh, is the first element in healing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it seems like uh, a lot of times we think about or at least the first association I have is, you know, kind of like a a field like like sowing fields into into a a cornfield or like a field in which um, we plant seeds in and grow crops. So, uh, you know, we have the the, the idea of field being um, you know, planting the seeds there and creating the crops of blessings so that then we can experience that. And also, um, you know, the term blessings is also interesting. You know, a lot of times we think of that in the theist tradition of like, you know, God giving us blessings. But like, can you clarify a little bit of that? Um, it's the blessings that arise from from doing our own work, um, you know, from living in alignment with our own integrity. You know, as we work to heal ourselves from, um, you know, the, the, the primary illnesses of, of desire, you know, clinging, anger and ignorance, then then that sends waves out like ripples to everyone we make contact with. The per, yeah. Our personal work is always interwoven together with the collective. Thank you. Thank you. And um, it seems like uh, the book is primarily addressing healing or healing arts. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting is the, uh, the idea of attunement is also brought up and I kind of like that idea because it's like, I think of our minds as instruments and how we're trying to, you know, constantly tune up our minds to get to a, a place of, uh, harm- harmony with our environment, as you're saying, like a place of harmony with, with, uh, with ourselves and our minds. So we're optimal optimizing, um, at the same time, healing is, has to do with, um, kind of overcoming obstacles are overcoming those wounds. So tell us a little bit more about like healing the Buddhist tradition. We know about medicine and uh, and a lot of people know about like the scientific approaches to healing. But what are some of the primary approaches to healing in, in Buddhism? Well, uh, it's coming into our own wholeness. That's that's what we would say, which, which is um, being able to accept ourselves <clears throat> unconditionally and to then be able to accept our world unconditionally, you know, so that most of the time we have some lens that's a bit getting in the way, you know, that's obscuring our clear view. 
And when uh, we're able to, you know, live in uh, alignment with who we are, then that's a healing. And so that often uh, coincides with physical healing. There's lots of information we have now on the on the the physical benefits of doing salang or mindfulness and other practices that has a tremendous effect upon the nervous system and through the nervous system it ripples out uh, to the entire body but then also there's the subtle level of healing which is healing our emotions um so that so that we can bring ourselves to the present and be that light unto ourselves that uh, Buddha actually uh, requested that we become. Thank you. Thank you. And also, it's like, uh, when we think about um, the relationship between the sacred energy and uh, our culture, and how we think about like, we always think about, um, you know, in Western medicine, we think about, you know, um, uh, changing my point is to say changing the narrative around healing and medicine, you know, it's being about, um, manipulating the body or taking things that are the external body and now we're thinking about in terms of um the mind creating the body or the mind the different levels of mind and how the perceived and the perceiver are like united so talking about the sacred and how um we can create a story around you have a passage in the book that talks about um homo symbolicus that we're naturally designed and driven to make meaning in our lives through symbols and narrative so um now, in this book, uh, we talk about the narrative, not around, you know, the mind-body, like talking about the mind-body problem or the mind-body issue. We think about it differently, thinking about it differently. So tell, if you, you started to talk a little bit about the subtle body, if you can expand yeah. a little bit on that, yeah. Well, um, yeah, there's quite a lot to expand on there. Uh, one thing, right, in Buddhism, we talk about Nama Rupa in the, in the Pali scriptures, when we're, we're talking about how things are connected. And that's one of the key pieces about this book is, is that healing happens through recognizing how connected we are to others in this world. You know, that we're not on a solo isolated journey it, and it's not about us, it's, a, it's about the whole. Um, that's, that's one thing that brings us back into the whole family of things. So when, you know, I'm here uh, perceiving you, you know, you're, you're here on, on my computer screen, I'm on your computer screen. You know, so we're able to take in each other in this way. So then you become part of my um, experience of the world. I become part of your experience of the world. Hmm. And that's that's the first thing, which is that the, within that, there's no separation. Uh, Tushan compared it to a jeweled net. It, within this net, um, each crystal in the net <clears throat> reflects not only every other crystal, but every reflection of every other crystal. So just in that way, we're always composed of these reflections of each other. We're always coming into being together. Um, from a Western perspective, we can understand that through interpersonal neuroscience, that our connection to our body is very much along through the same circuitry uh, that enables us to know and perceive the feeling state of another person. So as we heal our relationship with ourselves, with our body, then we're also then able to restore our connections to others. That's a healing. 
and now there's a third level when we talk about the subtle energy body that's important on the tibetan buddhist perspective there's actually a, both a subtle body which would be for instance the chakras the nadis and then there's an extremely subtle body uh, composed of these uh, like a red drop and a white drop that begin at conception you know and and those uh, merging of the red and white drop happens at the time of death and that's associated with a, like a very particular kind of opening up of our consciousness you know which enables us in some way to see things as as they truly are um if, if, if we're alert so that subtle energy body is something that we connect to through um through emotions through synchronicities um through acupuncture and the other healing arts and it in some basic way you know the the tibetan word uh wind horse in some basic way it corresponds to our nervous system although it's not identical to the nervous system because it's not that it's a subtle energy body but through that you know through working with that field uh, there can be connections made for instance to the elements uh, to the natural elements and our bodies can be renewed by um, the elements because we are the elements of the earth and and, and the elements of the earth are us we are nature so all of these arts are just a way to step out of our own way and let that grace which is our nature you know restore us yeah yeah and also um you know you think about um the cross-cultural uh ways in which the book is cross-cultural is kind of bridging gaps in cross-cultural awareness um you mentioned a little bit of indigenous uh bon or um shamanic traditions and it seems like what you're just discussing just now kind of made me trigger in me like thinking thinking about that and thinking about how the ways in which the return to nature and these kind of thematics of, of a lot of indigenous cultures um what were some of the influences some of the threads or influences or kind of cross-cultural understandings in this um with the if we could kind of illuminate a little bit more about shamanic influences or yeah, yeah. i love that question absolutely one one piece is that uh, as um, Dr. Eduardo Duran, who is a Native American psychologist, told me uh, many of the Native American languages, as well as um, Pali, which is one of the ancient Buddhist languages, they're, they're um, verb-based rather than noun-based. So th that means that there's an understanding of process. Everything is in process. Everything is becoming. You know, so in that way, there is no enlightened person. There's simply enlightened activity. Mm. You know, but the mistake we make in our Western culture is to kind of reify and, and just solidify and try to make things um, that noun, as if there as if there is a person to get enlightenment, which is a big mistake, or um, as if you know a medical diagnosis is is, is such a solid thing. You know, certainly in, in psychology, Eduardo Duran has worked with his communities to say that um, it isn't that one is depressed necessarily, but maybe more helpful to say that the spirit of depression is visiting. 
Mm. And in that way, it's it's something that a person doesn't have to identify with. It's not like I am this diagnosis, you know, but this experience is accompanying me for now. Mm. Yeah, this is the experience. Could it change? Yeah, it could. And in some way, he has found that very liberating. Yeah, I really like the idea um, how you integrate in the no self or the not self, um, kind of the absence of inherent self and kind of understanding how it's interdependent. So therefore, um, that kind of, for me at least, that kind of resonates with the um, attunement idea and kind of I want to get a chance to illuminate that a little bit more, um, like how harmony comes through, like the mm. music, the musicality or harmony comes. I like that word attunement and how um, kind of the tuning of energy and how you have this harmony flowing through you. So it's not about you and your story. Also, how it connects to storyline. It's not about you and your story, but rather this, the, the energy um, kind of resonating. Yes, yes, that, that this in some way, all of this is um, resonance. That, you know, when when we're in um, alignment with the natural rhythms, then our body knows what to do. And mm. so the acupuncture and other traditional medicines are not imposing something from outside, but really nudging the body back into its um, own restorative potential. Uh, Beverly Rubick has some great research uh, uh, on what she calls the biofield hypothesis, which is to say that each of us, each of us as a system, a living system has within it a kind of inner memory, if you will, you know, of wholeness, an inner blueprint. And so what good acupuncture or cranial sacral work or these other arts do is they help to nudge the body back into that blueprint. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit in the book about creating space. Um, that kind of reminds me a little bit of that. That kind of, that, that kind of thinks, makes me think of that. Um, it's mentioned a bunch of times about how, um, you know, kind of creating space and how the sacredness of creating space. Can you illuminate that in regards to what you were just saying? Yeah. 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 I mean that creating space is everything. Yeah. That's, that's what the healers begin with. First of all, creating space inside, creating that space in like inside ourselves through uh, like breath work through meditation. Um, it's through creating that space within that we're then able to hold sacred space for another person. You know, I, I just saw that actually this afternoon when I was visiting with patients in the hospital. Mm. Uh, to whatever degree I'm able to get out of my own way and create that space within myself and then within our conversation. They feel witnessed. And then out of that comes the appropriate response, whatever the action may be. But sometimes just bearing witness to what is going on for people is the healing. Thank you. Thank you. It seems like, um, you know, the, that the inverse or the opposite would be like the crowding up and kind of the knee jerk response to reactions where it's like there's too much going on. We're just kind of carried away. We're not being mindful. We're kind of carried away by this distraction, that distraction. And we're not um, creating space for us to have an intention or to create um, like to give ourselves the, 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 uh, the silent space to allow the, the harmony to percolate up naturally. I think it kind of has to do with the, the natural 
resonance of things um, and how things are in uh, without without interfering, like with water, when you stir it up, it becomes agitated. But when you allow it to settle, it has a natural place of going to um, stillness. Yes. Yeah. Very much. Very much. You know, like if we take that water from the ocean and the the, the glass is filled with sediment. If we let it settle, then the sediment settles to the bottom and the water becomes clear. Thank it's you. Thank you. Um, you'd also talked a little bit about um, ritual. I wanted to talk a little bit about that and how ritual can help us do that. Um, so tell us and give us an idea of the, the, there's many different uh, practices. There's a, there's a few practices I identified in the book that were discussed, uh, Medicine Buddha and Vajrasattva, the two primary ones I noticed. Uh, being discussed, you know, Medicine Buddha uh, and Vajrasattva being purification and, and the uh, the kind of, um, those are two major ones. The, but talk, talk, if you tell us a little bit about the rituals that are addressed in the book and how they can help us. Mm. Yeah, well, there's, there's quite a number of rituals and um, we don't have to be practicing in that traditional Buddhist way for um, for that work to be a benefit. Uh, so one ritual that I do quite often that actually um, originated with Lama John Makransky of, of, of the Zogchen lineage, that's adapted from um, traditional Vajrayana practice. So within this, uh, you envision for a moment all of those people who, from the very beginning of your life, have carried some wish for your well-being. Perhaps your parents or your grandparents, your brothers, your sisters, your teachers and friends, and all of those other beings as well. So evoking them in the mind's eye and seeing their bright faces, sensing and seeing that wish they carry for your well-being. They don't need to be Mother Teresa, just trusting that love that they do carry. And then seeing that, that love like a golden light streaming forth from them, filling your heart. And from the heart, um, awakening it, expanding it, illuminating it. So that our heart itself is like this golden life-giving sun. That light then um, permeates every cell in our body all the way nourishing uh, through with our bone marrow, uh, per uh, percolating through the kidneys, all the internal organs, shimmering through every single pore of the skin. So then um, out of that, you know, we experience a kind of cleansing and healing that we can rest in. And, th and then out of that, um, the the mind is is at rest you know the anxiety is released and the body responds very positively mm. you know so it's heal, healed the spirit but absolutely i've seen what it can also do for people's bodies thank you thank you and um now this has to do with, this is like the meditation aspect of it or the the month of recitation i guess would be a part of that or a part of that practice or would you say or with the, what is what does the practice uh, look like uh, outwardly? Outwardly, there doesn't actually need to be any recitation. Okay. 
I've, I've adapted that, um, and I, truthfully, Lama John Makranski adapted that so that it could be of use to people, whatever their belief system is. Uh -huh. so it's working in a classically Buddhist way, uh, but it's not using the iconography of Buddhism because not everyone is a practicing Buddhist. So this is the skillful means, which is to, to adapt these into our secular society so that, it, so that we can help the most people. Yeah, it was interesting how you looked at the root um, meditation and medicine, the, the root uh, the the root word there. I found that very very fascinating. I've never heard that um, particular observation being made or that particular comment being made. Um, Moderni, Moderni to cure or to measure. I think it was. Can you talk right. a little bit about that? Yeah, that everything has its own internal measure. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And uh, as we were talking about how um, cross-culturally, how we can embody this, um, uh, these truths, um, there was also talk about, uh, there's also some discussion of like the outer truths that we experience, the outer manifestation of things, then like the inner realities and the secret realities. Yeah. Um, and if you can illuminate that in relationship to the, the gross, subtle and very subtle, or if that, if that is, is, what is the relationship between that or is it, or is it, is it different? Well, right. I mean, there's a natural parallel there. Yeah. Whether it is the same or different depends exactly on where one stands within the Buddhist milieu. Mm. There are, even within Tibetan Buddhism, there are some teachers who say, yes, it is the same. And there are some who say, no, it can't be the same. Um, but absolutely, it's parallel. And I, I see the parallel. So I bring that forward. So, and this part is true uh, within all of Mahayana, mm. that we see ex existence on three levels. First of all is um, Nirmanakaya, the state of being in the world. You know, this is a, this is a table, you know, here's uh, the light, like in my room, and mm. um, solid, tangible things. Then on the other hand, we have Dharmakaya, which is that pure emptiness, the energy out of which everything arises and, and to which everything returns. You know, all of the forms change, you know, but there's something beyond the changing. That is what we call Dharmakaya. It's, it's infinite. Then though, there's a third thing right in between, Sambhogakaya. So Sambhogakaya mediates in between form of the, the tangibles and emptiness, uh, dharmakaya. Uh, so sambhogakaya shows up in the way that we might experience synchronicities in the world, mm. or that we might have a premonition through a dream. There was uh, the uh, great chemist Kiko who discovered the shape of the benzene molecule. He discovered that through a dream of the Ouroboros, a snake eating its own tail. And so when he received the Nobel Prize for his discovery, he said right away, I thank my dreams. Mm. So that would be an example, really, of uh, the way that we experience Sambhogakaya. Thank you. Thank you. So it seems like, um, you know, all this, all these kind of various traditions has to do with also like how our experience of the self is a very like, you know, we can experience ourselves in a very obvious way, like how we in relationship to others, but also we consider ourselves in a deeper level, kind of like how we're connected with others. So in other words, like, you know, there's a story of VJ and how, 
you know, he was born and blah, 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 and the narrative, the storyteller around that. And then there's the experience that I have of myself as a person and then how it's related to and interdependent with other people. Is that kind of get on the, the uh, get on what, what you're talking about or how would you yeah. express that? Yeah. Yeah. Very often when, when people are challenged in healing, you know, if we, when I look into it, if I inquire with them, you know, I find that some part of their system is stuck in the past. Mm. Yeah, we, you know, we have these early life experiences, you know, or maybe uh, somewhere down the road, you know, there was uh, something that was unfortunate, some break in relationship, something. And so when we're able to bring ourselves back into present time, yeah, there's a, like a, a, there's something powerful, very powerful about that. And um, so in that way, it, it, it's always helping people to see that they're, they, they don't need to identify with their story mm. or their thoughts or their emotions um, because we're, we're greater than all of that. And so that exercise of connecting with all the love that we've ever known, you know, in, in some way, each of us came into the world, you know, through the love of all of those generations of, of the ancestors, you know, really thousands of, if not millions of people have made our lives possible and so that is actually kind of humbling mm. but it also brings us into connection thank you so this is the truth of power show and ready for brooklyn we're here with jihong padma uh talking about the field of blessings ritual and consciousness and the work of buddhist healers um many of the themes of the book also deal with uh among the main themes deal with um, returning to the heart and returning to the heart, place of heart-centered um, awareness for that healing to take place, I think. You have to kind of always return to a place of being really, um, you know, grounded in love and grounded in compassion, love and kindness. Um, how do you envision returning to heart as being, playing a role in your healing? Well, what happens is that uh, when we look at these things from the perspective of Tibetan or Chinese medicine, uh, there's a quality of energy called the Shen that dwells in the heart. And the, the Shen is the spirit. And the spirit is, we could say, easily startled, like, like birds. Mm. And so what a healer does then is, is to bring that, that Shen, you know, back into the heart. Mm. And, and, how does that happen? That happens through um, soothing and, and providing a calm, non-anxious presence, mm. and then providing modalities that support that. And 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 when the the mind is within the heart, you know, when the when the shen, the the mind and the spirit are within the heart, then we have a sense of um, congruence. And, uh, you know, the, the presence that we're able to provide to ourselves and others is much greater. Thank you. Um, then also, you, uh, almost like that makes me think of the um, uh, bringing up of Chad practice. I think, am I saying that right? Chad practice, right? Yeah, fear. Uh, yeah, fear um, and how that can kind of play into the healing, kind of dealing with or confronting these anxieties and these fears and these uh, disruptive emotions and and kind of defending them head on. So, if you tell us a little bit about how that how that kind of plays into yeah. yeah. So the the shun practice 
actually works at overcoming fear through in some way evoking it mm. it's it's that's the amazing um catalytic potential of these uh, vajrayana ritual so that what is called up um, through the ritual is that original imprint of fear you have people playing trumpets made out of human thigh bones mm. it's the most eerie sound and there's uh, the rattling you know of the damaru the hand drum and there's a melody that is um it certainly stirs up the emotions you know it feels really um unworldly but through this you know through what this really takes us to is altered state of consciousness uh, through which our emotions are more vivid and whatever that original um pain or disharmony is um it gets raised up right we can't um lift up we can't heal that that emotional imprint unless it's been lifted up mm. you know there was uh, some great person um, a great healer who said that the complete experience of an emotion is the funeral pyre of that emotion so if, you know if we want to um release um that anxiety we have about dogs or uh, stage fright or um, airplanes, you know, it's in some way we need to be willing to confront that. Then as we do that, then we're suddenly in a different relationship to it. So in the Tibetan way, that's done very skillfully, which is that first of all, one invites the demons in and sits them down. Mm. you know and then offers them whatever it is that they want or need yeah, the sutram alioni who's a tibetan teacher in um, colorado has done some magnificent work uh, pioneering ways in which the should practice could be adapted to western sensibilities so within that um, one sits the demon down and inquires you know what does this really want of me you know what that um, shadow side of ourselves wants might be something completely impossible but then the question is what does it need so what it needs and what it wants are different we it, it, what it needs might be recognition you know it, it or it, um, some other kind of support or nourishment so we give it exactly what it everything that it needs and as we do that, then the demon is transformed and it becomes our ally. Mm. Also, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the role now, the role of the healer in this. So in other words, we have, um, you know, sometimes you have relationships in which the person will go to another person to, you know, uh, guide them through this process and how the heal the role of the healer in this and the role of the wounded healer specifically. Mm -hmm like how their wounds and the wounds are, and how they're able to guide the, the client or the, or the devotee or the person that they're helping. Um, if you could illuminate that relationship and the, a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, from the, the beginning, you know, of these healing lineages, 
there's been an understanding that people are often initiated into the path by having a healing crisis themselves. Mm. You know, so there's a great story about this nun um, who was struck with leprosy. And she practices through the leprosy and becomes a great healer. Mm. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, th there's many also many other stories about um, these healers who I interviewed, who encountered massive um, doubt when they were on their meditation retreats, or they had physical obstacles like asthma. And they found actually that these were resistant to traditional Western medical modalities. And they did have uh, fruition. They did experience healing when the traditional Buddhist um, remedies were practiced. You know, for me, myself, I can say that I wouldn't be sitting here without the help of, of the powerful healers who I have experienced. Because every single time I've sat on a 90 day retreat, um, I've had something physical happen that I needed to take care of. Mm. You know, sometimes it's been uh, back spasms or um, sinus infection or, um, you know, something else happening with the joints. But I can honestly say that I wouldn't be here, I, the person who I am, without all of the help of the people who have supported me. And so that's one of the messages of the healing crisis, which is that we don't do it alone. Mm. You know, we, th we thought we were in this grand drama and tragedy alone, but actually everything is supporting us. That recognition of community, that's one of the core elements of healing across culture. Mm. Yeah, I was just gonna bring up the, the role of what we call the Sangha, or the community in that, and how um, they can kind of connect, and, and it has to do with the interdependence of our being. So it's like we're only here because of other people, through the kindness of others, and also we're created by others in a way. We're kind of, um, we're not just creating ourselves out of thin air, but we're creating ourselves interdependent with other people. So you're the, yeah. you're the uh, child of your parents and the brother of your sisters or brothers and all this kind of thing, or the neighbor of someone else and how we understand ourselves in relationship with others would you say that interdependence in that level and how deep does the rabbit hole go with interdependence like how, how deep do you think you can bring it well I, I i don't think we've ever plumbed the depth of that hole yeah yeah i have the great as you mentioned in the beginning of the great uh, illustration of the indoor's net and how um each person reflects the whole, the whole, the wholeness of the, of all phenomena. And uh, I know I've had one uh, person talk to me about how there's like, um, in the, there's like the, the idea of, in the, even in quantum physics, about how uh, the universe kind of, there's still mystery in the universe, the undifferentiated, mysterious that are, we can't understand that resists our mind from uh, understanding. But then we create it when we begin to understand, we like, create that understanding we're like like in other words like it's it's not um it's not in existence until the mind perceives it until the mind kind of co-creates it if you will and yes. that creation that level of creation yeah so that's kind of that seems like intrinsic to the emptiness idea the idea that we're co-creating 
phenomena seems like the the foundation upon which this healing practice is created because of the the interdependence would you say yeah well that's certainly a, a core component that what i found yeah. is that the, the healer's capacity to hold a vision of wholeness for the client even one that the client doesn't see for themselves mm. you know perceiving them in the most accurate light which is to say you know the light of their true nature that actually helps um the client to align you know to find that that they couldn't have found by themselves yeah and so that relationship with the healer is serving as a template through which the client can have a better relationship with themselves and with others yeah i know that a lot of times in west society we have like a problematic um kind of view of teacher relationships although in the east they traditionally in the traditional east they have like the guru yoga and they have many different aspects of the teacher that is much different from the way that you know many westerners associate like the um relationship between uh like for example a patient and a doctor or like between a teacher and a student and these relationships are very different from the guru yoga of of you know the east and how you know my understanding at least is that the like ideally guru yoga should be one that you're, you're kind of internalizing the guru as well and you be, you know kind of like there's internalization so it's not just about external power external authority but rather about kind of guiding you to find your own inner compass to be able to discover the guru within would you say absolutely how, yeah the healer yeah, within yeah finding the, that buddha within and, yeah. and so in that way we know that these uh, traditional healers uh, have uh, many of them a medicine buddha practice whereby they at the very beginning of the day or certainly before working on a client uh, they'll do a visualization of the medicine buddha mm. until they uh, find the medicine buddha within their heart but then be, uh, ultimately transform into the medicine buddha yeah so that's the, that's the place that they anchor um be, in order to do their work uh, but we all have that capacity for sacred healing only you know how um how much have we actualized that mm. it's like a um a diamond you know that we have where maybe we ha already have it but we're diamonds in the rough yeah and as we polish that then the diamond shines clear thank you so it seems like also the mandala practices come into play here because the mandala, my understanding of mandala is that um, it's like a, a universe, an internal, internal, tell us a little bit what mandala is and, and how that practice can kind of um, inform visualizations or imagination, all this kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the most beautiful and powerful thing about the mandala is that understanding that um, it's the universe without anything left out. Hmm which means that everything is workable. You know, that every every energy has both like static, um, you know, which is to, which is to say, um, you know, a little bit stuck or dynamic, you know, awakened qualities. You know, if, so if a person on the one hand is prone to anger, you know, if they see through that anger and grasp its illusory nature, then that that quality of mind actually becomes the sword that cuts through delusion like at the place of not knowing passion you know which is clinging to things becomes compassion 
you know, I am attached to eating. And so I light the fire and cook a meal so that everyone is nourished. And, mm. and, um, and so on, you know, throughout all the directions of the mandala, everything is workable. Which means as we sit with ourselves and, and we create the, the enlightened world within us, that all of the emotions we have get to be there. And when everything gets to be there, then we can own our shadow mm. and the power of the shadow. And instead of looking for someplace to project that or denying it, you know, which obviously gives it like more power and, and really trips people up. You know, if when we own that, it's very rich material. Mm. And that actually helps us to be that fruit or flower, you know, on the tree of life that we're intended to be. Yeah, I mean, you bring up attachment theory as being a, as being a, one of the um, touching stone points in the book. Uh, tell us a bit how that plays a role um, in your healing and one's healing. Um, yeah, thank you. Well, um, so from for all of us, the the patterns through which we relate to other human beings were formed in the very first two years of life, you know, before our conscious memory was online, before the prefrontal cortex was fully formed. All of those memories from the first two years of life are only accessible through implicit memory, uh, through the amygdala which is part of the limbic system. And um, to whatever degree our caregivers were then able to be open with us and uh, reinforce our healthy connection and were relatively free of their own preoccupations, you know, to that degree, then we internalize, you know, a, a, um, a kind of security in relationship a sense that we can reach out in our vulnerability and those needs will be met. And to whatever degree that our um, caregiver was a bit stuck, maybe dismissive, um, you know, tuned out, or on the other hand, preoccupied, you know, so that they were sometimes present, sometimes not. Um, to whatever degree that's the case, you know, our own relationship with our body, our relationship with ourselves, our own emotions, and our relationship with others will will pattern that that we might in the same way push down our feelings you know how often do you hear in our society uh, messages to, uh, to men especially you know like not to be weak by expressing mm -hmm. feelings and so what that what happens with that is that we have generation after generation you know of human beings whose emotional range is is a little bit um stuck mm. Because if we don't reinforce those neural connections, um, they don't grow, they kind of attenuate. Or on the other hand, right, if uh, the caregiver was uh, sometimes present, sometimes not, we might have this anxious relationship um, to, to others, a, a little bit clingy, or expecting relationships to be hard work, mm. and, and sort of getting in our own way like that. But thankfully, um, we all have the capacity for what's called earned secure attachment, which is no matter what our early life experience, through connecting with another human being in the here and now, in a way that feels trustworthy, we can build that security um, that we so much need.
Mm. And that and that is actually how um, the healing takes place as well, is, is that in the way that the healer is able to create space within and then out of that uh, space within create a trustworthy relationship with their uh, client. That's modeling something that isn't just understood cognitively, but it's understood uh, in a place that's before words, because our nervous system and others uh, attune together. Thank you. Thank you. It seems like uh, it all connects with the stories we tell ourselves and stories our society is telling each other. Um, you know, I kind of make that connection in the idea that, you know, uh, kind of the ways in which we storytell about the human experience um, kind of informs our experience of ourselves and our experience of how we, you know, we have these, um, you know, when we have like sensations of the body, we tell ourselves a story about why we're having that. And then, or why we're having, whether it be uh, any, any range of emotions we're going through, we tell us those stories in order to understand um, our experience of that and how the society can then um, teach people to kind of integrate in their storytelling into, in a way that kind of directs their flow in a better way, I guess, is the point. I, like, uh, what would you say is the um, way in which storytelling, yeah, storytelling specifically was what I was focused on. Uh, how that kind of plays into our healing. Well, you know, very often that we within our internal story, we have uh, many different threads mm. and uh, some of which are just from a dominant narrative, maybe society narrative, so, you know, society's narrative saying, you know, you're not anything unless you have the iPhone 12 or, or mm. whatever it is that that is, you know, the, the needed thing or the, the society's coordinates of beauty, for instance, coordinates of value. So we have a, a little bit of a mixture mm. in, our, in, you know, in our inner story quite often, but a good healer will be able to lift up you know, those elements of the story, the threads of the narrative that support that sense of hope and freedom and opportunity and connection. And so, for me, when I work with a, a patient, for instance, and draw out their, their life story, you know, in the way that I ask questions, I'll, I'll lift up those knowledges and the practices and the community that I see. And, mm. and in that way, it's helping them to actualize their and to really know their own value and their own wisdom. Thank you. So it seems like um, the word empowerment comes up in my mind from that that the idea of like empowering certain um, like seeds, kind of watering them, kind of empowering them, kind of making them come forward, those energies, bring them forward. So the healer is kind of like watering or if you will, or directing the attention towards the, um, you know, kind of healing properties that are already there or existent yeah. in the body. Yeah, would you say? Yeah, very much. It's already there, um, but we have to actualize it. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, it's and dormant. So, yeah, it's dormant. Yeah. Yeah, and and so when um, the healer works, um, they're they're working to restore that natural state. Hmm. Um. One thing I want to touch in on is also the soul retrieval, which is interesting how that's brought up in the book. Um, tell us a little bit about how that plays into it, because sometimes we lose parts of uh our narrative or parts of our story or parts of our potentialities and how we can regain them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And well, this is this actually, again, this is one of those places in which uh, Tibetan Buddhism particularly and um, indigenous shamanic practices are actually just woven very, very closely. Mm. You know, within, um, you know, Tibetan Buddhism, there is a particular lineage called the Lapas. Um, Tibetan Buddhist um, shaman or medicine doctors, I, I think would be the better term, um, who practice soul retrieval. And within the Bon uh, Tibetan tradition also, it is an identical ceremony for soul retrieval. So some of the healers who I interviewed use these practices. They'll be able to see through um, connecting to um, the person, you know, through uh, perhaps reading the pulse. Here in Western medicine, we only have one pulse reading, one pulse read. But in um, Tibetan medicine or traditional Chinese medicine, there are several. Mm. So that by listening to the pulses, it becomes clear what's in harmony or um, what needs to be brought in. And so in the Bun tradition, sometimes they bring in the different element through using mantra. Mm. A, a mantra for the element of fire or the element of wind. It's a, it's a way of aligning with nature. Uh, because again, we are nature, you know, and, and so the, the energy can flow in between the natural world and our body. It, it does anyway, through the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we take in. Yeah, this is just one other level in which we're exchanging energy. Yeah, it seems uh, like uh, like in regards to soul retrieval, like that seems almost contrary to the idea of no self. But at the same time, it's like it's more about the energies or retrieving energies that were part of our story in the past. I think what I got the sense of from the from the passage is like you know, kind of retrieving those narratives, those threads that we were kind of pursuing in a in a time in our life. They were able to then pick up and reclaim or reown, would you say? Yes, and again, you know, because the Shen gets startled. You know, mm. there's ways in which if we have a um, a really disturbing uh, shock, then a part of us uh, might be hard to access. Here in the West, through psychology, we know that um, as PTSD, mm. and where um, uh, people will be having experiences uh, of being a bit outside of themselves. Mm. It's, and but those those trauma symptoms actually align very closely with the traditional understanding in, in indigenous and um, Buddhist cultures of uh, a need for soul retrieval. Mm. So that when that element comes back, perhaps that we can see that through the, the flesh in someone's face. You know, the, the, the basic, the core vitality is restored. Thank you, thank you. So this is the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, just wanted to give a couple quick announcements. The, the Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to the community and uh, promote media literacy. Uh, if you're inspired by the conversations had on the show and on Radio for Brooklyn, please consider donating to radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Your support means everything to us and, uh, you know, really helps us stay in the air. Um, 
Also, one of our sponsors is City Running Tours. So please support uh, neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its uh, neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose some tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see a list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, please visit their website at cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. And check out the live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Instagram.com slash cityrunningtours. Um, we have a few more minutes left. Uh, it's about, I think, five more minutes. Um, so we'll just uh, kind of give some... Uh, Last talk, last last thoughts on um, on the book or on anything you'd like to bring up, um, how it connects with your, your your own personal journey. Maybe might be a good way to end, like how your work has uh, um, been informed by your journey. Yeah, um, this has been a, quite a long journey. Uh, this research. Uh, the, you know, the catalyst for it is that um, from the beginning of my life, uh, my spiritual practice and these arts of healing have been interwoven. I was brought to meditation practice by being an emergency medical technician and then working at an acupuncture clinic for people with AIDS in the early 90s. And then, you know, throughout my meditation practice, I've always come to these places where I needed some good uh, support physically, um, spiritually. So writing this is my way of giving something back to all those lineages of healers um, that have been of such deep benefit to me. So then I'd like to offer just a short blessing for the listeners, um, which is a a healing blessing from our tradition. Uh, Just as the soft rains fill the streams, pour into the rivers, and join together in the oceans. So may the power of every moment of your goodness flow forth to quicken and heal all beings. Those here now, those gone before, those yet to come. By the power of every moment of your goodness, may your heart's wishes be soon fulfilled, as completely shining as the bright full moon, as magically as by a wish-fulfilling gem. By the power of every moment of your goodness, may all danger be averted and all disease be gone. May no obstacle come across your way. May you enjoy fulfillment and long life. May you prosper in the four blessings of longevity, beauty, happiness, and strength. Thank you. Thank you. It's so beautiful. I know that a lot of times in Buddhist practice, we dedicate uh, at the end, this kind of part of the dedication practice to kind of connect our intentionality with that larger uber intention or that larger intention of like, you know, the betterment of our community because our community and our on the world and phenomena kind of purification of these kinds of uh, sufferings um, is part of our a part of us, you know, part of our existence. Would you say? And, and what is the role you think of dedication in in, your, in practices like this? Well, I I think dedication is the thing. You know, the moment that we begin to aspire with the heart, it's as if we're already there. Mm. We just need to continue, continue. And that's why um, we say it's the bodhisattva path, uh, because we um, go out and step by step, you know, actualize it among other beings. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us uh, whether people can follow you. 
uh, where can people find out more information or buy the book or or look at your work and look at your other works? Yeah. Thank you. Um, my um, work can be found at the website mountainpath.org, like a mountain, P-T-H dot O-R-G. Um, and there, uh, there's more information about some teaching that I'm doing. Uh, our Zen group, which meets on um, Mondays and Fridays. And, um, you know, some other uh, literature that I've written. Uh, my book, Living the Season, is useful for beginners. And then also you can find me under a natural wisdom on um, Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. just want to remind listeners of the Truth to Power show. We're just about um, wrapping up. Uh, we air every Monday at 8 a.m. Uh, you can um, find out more at truth to power, at radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. Um, you can listen to our archives. I have actually a guide to uh, the various older episodes at uh, on my website, vjrnathan.com. You can look under Truth to Power Show Guide, and you might be able to find, you'll be able to find the previous um, interview we did. Uh, now it's been a couple of years, though, uh, with, with Living the Seasons, um, a few years ago. So people would be able to find that episode as well that I put under um, the healing arts um, under the guide. So definitely check that out and uh, check out the book which I found very good. I found it very well organized and very easy to understand. Uh, many different sections, you know, the way the organization of the book is very su superior, I think, to a lot of um, some of these books, like, you know, it's clearly, clearly organized very well. And uh, for beginners or experts, I think they'll, they'll get something out of it. Thanks so much. I'm so, so grateful for everything that you do here, BJ. Thank you, thank you. So I'll probably go out, last few minutes, like, um, I'll just put a couple of chanting on, a little chanting on to um, 